patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 78 part one of friends and fellow citizens i'm your host sherman tylowski thank you all so much for joining me first of all special thank you to our patreon supporters they are absolutely dedicated to this show and this podcast i'm i'm truly grateful every single week for all of their support so thank you all to our patreon members if you'd like to become a part of the patreon community be sure to check out the link down in the show notes below and to all those who are our listeners our subscribers i want to also express my appreciation to all of you as well if you'd like to subscribe to our email list check out the link down in the show notes below too also, as a quick note, as I mentioned earlier, this is part one of our conversation with our special guest today. If you want to access part two, it is also down in the show notes below. So we got a lot of resources down there. This was recorded one entire block, but I wanted to make it a little easier for you to consume. So I split into two roughly equal parts. So check out part two after you listen to this part one. So sit back, relax and enjoy this interview. Today's guest is Dr. Alida Dacoli. Born in communist Albania, she overcame the political persecution of her family to become an international concert pianist, entrepreneur, and human rights activist. She has performed on some of the world's most prestigious stages, including Carnegie Hall, Merkin Concert Hall, Bromsal, Rothos, and Bossdorfer Hall in Vienna. Dr. Dacoli left Europe to pursue her graduate degree at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, just down the road of Highway 6 from my previous alma mater, Texas A&M, and subsequently earned her Doctor of Musical Arts in Piano Performance degree from Louisiana State University. Dr. Dacoli has also written her first book called Alexander Pecci, Albanian Music Before and After the Iron Curtain. It was published in 2018 by Academica Press. Uh, in this book, she analyzes the works of composer Alexander Pesci and the changes in his compositional style during and after communism. She describes the music during communist regime as well as the influence of folklore in today's Albanian music. As an entrepreneur and educator, Dr. Dacoli has championed an entrepreneurial approach to artistic careers as the founder and professor of the Entrepreneurship in the Arts program at Dallas Baptist University, where she also serves as a member of the Women's Auxiliary Board. She's also the executive director of the Dallas Institute of Musical Advancement, which she founded in 2017, an after-school music program offered at the most elite Dallas schools. In recent years, she's collaborated with the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, VOC, which, by the way, is one of my favorite organizations. They do so amazing work, and most important, they tell those amazing stories, stories that I think are very inspiring and just very well told by some of the, really, the country's best speakers. 
Uh, she's collaborated with VOC to advocate for human rights through her music and lectures. On June 12, 2018, Dr. Nicoli appeared as a speaker and performer at the opening of the Memorial of Victims of Communism Foundation's Free to Be exhibition in Washington, D.C. Dr. Nicoli's interview and performance appeared in 40 different countries around the world through Voice of America and the BBC. Most recently, Dr. Nicoli has joined the National Advisory Council of the VOC and successfully appealed to the Texas Congress to pass legislation commemorating the victims of communist regimes. A documentary about her life and the persecution her family faced under the Albanian communist regime was recently produced and released by this foundation. She's also the founding ambassador of the VOC's new Dallas Commission. Dr. Nicoli currently resides in Dallas, Texas with her husband and three children. As you can tell, she is truly an accomplished speaker and human rights advocate. I am really, really grateful to have her on the program today. Alita, thank you so much for joining us on Friends and Fellow Citizens today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Alita, you have truly an amazing story because you came from one of the most oppressive regimes, not just in the history of politics, but in the history of humanity. And you were able to embark on such a journey to come all the way here to the United States and become so successful and advocate for goodness. What you're doing in the great state of Texas is truly wonderful. And I am just so looking forward to hearing your story today. To start off, what can you tell us about what life was like under the brutal communist regime in Albania? You said amazing story. Unfortunately, it is amazing. Not by choice. Um, Not that we try to become that way. It's just that Communism wanted so badly to make my family by both sides, my father and my mother, disappear. That, um, you know, once that the communism went down and uh, the truth came out, it became uh, something that it's worth mentioning and guiding the younger generation towards uh, the danger that the communism, the socialism brings in the world. Growing in communism, I have to say I had a very happy childhood because I was well protected from my family. They In the house, I was very happy child. I saw very lovely parents, grandparents. I was surrounded by love and that's what built someone up for success. And um, I didn't understand what was, uh, you know, what my family was going through. They would put a happy face, a smiley face, a loving face, and everything was just perfect in my little world. Of course, there were things that I, uh, that later on, I was able to understand that I can't believe to begin with what my parents have gone through to just protect us and make all that happen because they were under pressure the whole time. They were being watched the whole time. They would wake up at 5 a.m., getting us dressed, preparing a little, uh, trying to figure out the most 
minimal parts of, you know, just having food on the table, just because communism didn't give you much. There was not much food. There was not much, even milk. There was no milk, no honey, nothing. The, basically, the minimum was missing. The, the minimal uh, things of life were missing. However, I felt like I had the whole world just because of the family that I had and the way that they grew up themselves, because that's the way that they um, grew up as well. Um, Unfortunately, many things later on, once that communism went down and once that I started writing uh, my book, I realized that so many things that I thought back then was my fault. I was not good enough for different, uh, in different aspects in life, in my childhood. It's because of my so-called bad biography. With all of this being said, um, I was born in a family of two, from two, uh, parents that were persecuted from uh, communism. On my mother's side, my uh, great-grandfather was one of the founders of the first Albanian um, pluralist congress in 1921. Unfortunately, in 1943, uh, Albania was going through many changes because of the fascism, the, uh, basic, the Italians, Second World War was going on, and so a new Albanian uh, Congress was uh, created, and my great-grandfather was invited to speak there. Of course, he was the oldest member of that Congress. He was a congressman there as well, and um, sadly, he was uh, shot while walking the streets with my grandfather going to eat lunch at home, um, was shot, and two bullets, one uh, in the head, one near the eye. He he was shot while walking in the back. Of course, they would hit you from the back, right? What did you expect? And uh, while well, he turned his head to see who hit him, uh, another shot came his way. My grandfather, after communism, I we asked questions when communism fell. We asked questions what happened. And I very clearly remember him saying that, I don't know how those shots didn't get to me. Because uh, he, the moment that my great-grandfather fell down on the floor, he was trying to figure out if he was still alive or not. There was blood everywhere and the shots were still going on. Anyway, he grabbed my great-grandfather in his back, my grandfather uh, got my great-grandfather in his back and uh, took him straight to the hospital. At the hospital, they kept him for a few days in the city of uh, Duras, where the city that I was born in, and then they moved him in Tirana, in the capital city. He started getting better. However, unfortunately, uh, a corrupted nurse, maybe she was pressured to do that, gave him milk that was uh, poisoned, and that's how he passed. He died basically from poison. Unfortunately, there were guards there at the door because uh, there were guards at the door and a family member was always with my great-grandfather there. However, they were able to somehow finish their mission, the communists. And um, it's a very sad story. And what tells me what I learned from this is that no matter what, they're going to get their way. So don't allow them from the start. Just try to to build a wall for, against communism because they're going to penetrate somehow their way and make things happen. And um, 
And that was the story of my, uh, from my mother's side of the family. The persecution went on from that. Um, they say that communism persecution lasts for three generations. And in my case, it was for more than that. And thank God that uh, communism went down. Otherwise, I'd not, have, I'd not be here speaking with you today. Um, this is the story of my great-grandfather. My grandfather uh, and my grandmother suffered in communism. All of their properties were taken away. They were considered enemies of the people. And the street where he was shot was written uh, in a plaque. The enemy of the people was killed here with his name. We didn't have, we were not allowed to have a picture of my great grandfather at home. We were not allowed to mention his name. I never heard about him until communism went down. The reason that I didn't hear about him is because my parents, my grandparents were protecting us. My uncles, my aunts were protecting us to mention his name because they didn't want us to mention his name in, in the street. They didn't want me, my brother or my siblings, my cousins to speak about the attorney who sent Mishketa because if someone would hear us saying his name, a family member would definitely end up in prison because uh, they would with the accusation that they were trying to bring the new generation, the great grandchildren of this uh, of the attorney, giving them the um, the spirit of the capitalism, you know, growing us up in in the capitalist spirit and uh, mindset. However, um, and so we were not spoken about my great grandfather, about my family story. I knew nothing until communism went down. And this is very sad. In the in the house that my um, great uh, grandparents and my grandfather, grandmother lived, uh, that was taken away. The other property that was still in the city, but by the seaside, Duras, it's a, it's a city that's located in the Adriatic Sea. It's in the coast, Adriatic coast. And um, that property was destroyed. And uh, the land was, uh, and they, they took over the land and did whatever they wanted to do. Our homes were all taken. They gave us uh, a small part of an apart of a house where we had only the first floor. And in the second floor, there were the upstairs neighbors that were from the Secret Service that would live upstairs. They would go through our hallway to go upstairs. Basically, imagine a two two story house in the first floor was my grandparents and their children and in the second store were the secret services living a family that the husband was uh, worked at the yes and uh, was a policeman i believe and on the other side of that house because uh, right across from our door was another family that reported every single move that m my grandparents would would make I remember when I was a child going to my grandparents' house and knock at the door, the neighbor's door right across the street, right across the neighbor's door, they would open the door, they would see who, uh, who is knocking at the door, and then they would shut without saying hi or anything. Can you imagine living that way? That's how my grandparents lived, and that's how my parents lived. So it was, we were never talked about the system, the communism. Of course, I thought that because we, 
with studying school that there's nothing better than communism. There's nothing better than socialism. I had no idea that the world is so big and so, so amazing. We just lived our little world and we were not allowed to think outside of it. On my father's side, my grandfather was a very successful businessman. He was known in um, in charity as well as my great-grandfather and my grandfather on my mother's side. So they were people that wanted to do good for their city, for their country. He was, uh, my grandfather, uh, paternal grandfather, had business relations all over the world. And he was known to uh, support the education, as stated by the uh, newspaper at that time. They would donate uh, monthly. My grandfather did this on my father's side, and his father started it. So it was something that went on for generations. When communism came to power, they took my grandfather to prison. They, my grandmother, with the four children, uh, she was thrown in the street. The youngest one was one year old, and it's just so sad. They didn't even have time to, um, to put on their shoes. They didn't allow them to take, to put shoes on and just, just literally the police was there. The military was there. They considered them as well enemies of the people that they took the blood out of the poor people and they became rich just uh, using the workforce. And now it's time that the workforce gets the power back and the people that used the capitalists, uh, it's time for them to go to prison and live um, under the most miserable condition in the street, if possible. So my grandmother was not allowed to even take you know, a slice of bread to feed her child. No clothes on. It was, it was cold. No jackets. They were just thrown in the street. I hope you get the point. Um, Thankfully, her brother had a two-bedroom home, and um, he had my grandmother uh, move in with him and his family. My grandmother lived in one room there with her four children, and uh, that's how it all started. She did the most unusual jobs. The kids started working even at a very young age. My father was working at age six, seven, uh, selling uh, nuts in the street, you know, um, almonds, they would bake them and they would sell them, basically just try to make ends meet. My, uh, my grandfather was in prison at that time, uh, at the, you know, he would work at, during the day and night. I don't know what the, honestly, I don't know how they treated them, but I do know that the conditions in the prison were super miserable. My father said that all that he had to eat was just soup, that maybe you could find a piece of rice in it, basically literally just water. And they were, they'd slave them opening uh, new roads and uh, in the mountain, uh, just basically the most miserable jobs that my grandfather was at that point was 60 and they would make him work all those jobs and uh, hit him. You know, just, I can't even imagine. It's just so hard for me to speak about this, no matter how many times I talk about it, just because 
they can't imagine that someone that did so much for their city would just suffer under these conditions to go through all this for doing nothing, just trying to do good for his for his family, for his country, and most importantly for his city. And try to build the city, <laughs> try to build the country. With all this, my grandmother would send yogurt uh, pretty much weekly or as much as she was allowed to go to prison because they would move him from one prison to another. And oftentimes we didn't know where it was. And oftentimes my grandmother couldn't walk all the way when she couldn't walk for let's say five hours or seven hours to just send some yogurt. We didn't know where my grandfather was. There was no transportation. Even if there was a bus, they couldn't afford to go into one to pay the, the ticket. That's how poor they were. And uh, um, it was just so bad that I don't know how to describe, but my father went and visited. My grandmother would always take one of the children to visit my uh, grandfather and what my grand my father remembers is just his father looking just in the worst possible condition. Then that's what he remembers his father. He remembers his father dirty with um, you know just uncleaned with very dirty, ruined clothes and just uh, still smiling somehow, but completely gone in the inside. My father says that he always had the hope that this will be over soon. However, unfortunately, it did not happen. It was uh, communism were able to, to keep power for 45 years. Eventually, when they didn't need my grandfather anymore, they took all of our money. A lot of our homes were destroyed for what they called archaeological reasons, hoping that they'll find gold under the house. Because back then, that's how people would save, um, you know, would save their their wealth. Um, so the houses were destroyed. I know uh, that one of my grandfather's friend that was able to survive prison um, made his way out after communism. Reached out to us, said that you have some um, bank accounts in Switzerland. We, I advise, I know this from, uh, you know, from your father, told that to my father. And uh, so we did that research. However, all everything was taken. They, uh, the Communist Party made my grandfather probably drugged him, gave him uh, who knows what they did, but basically made uh, him sign that uh, all the money will be taken or transferred. To the communists. So everything was taken. They did everything at once that they didn't need him anymore. And he was too weak to work. They uh, poisoned him as well. They didn't let us know that he was uh, he was dead. My grandmother kept sending yogurt to uh, to prison. And one day the guard told my grandmother, "Don't come back again. He no longer exists." And that was it. That's how we find out that that was the end. We couldn't find, we didn't know where his grave was. To this day, we don't know. Um, and it's just um, the only time I remember my grandmother speaking about this. Uh, I mean, 
at the end of her life, she said that I can see him. I can see him. He's coming. So I'm finally going to be with my husband again. And that was it. She passed after that. So, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And this is hard to speak. Um, Anyway, so, oh, I apologize. No need to apologize. I I thank you so much for for sharing what your family has contributed to the people of Albania. Um, I just can't begin to imagine what your grandparents and great grandparents went through. It's 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 truly sad. You know, Elias, I'm I'm listening here. I'm. You, 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 you really, you're so brave to share your story. I mean, hearing your story about your, your great grandparents, your grandparents and all the, the struggles that they, they went through. It's, it's unimaginable. It... No, I, um, uh, I started learning more about all this as, um, again, my parents, it took them it was such a huge effort for them to just make us feel as we had the whole world. That's how I felt. I had the whole world. However, I didn't have much at all. I realized that I had so little, but I just had that love that my parents were determined to give us. And uh, I think that's what built us for life, me and my brother and my cousins, because it was the same. And once the communism went down, I saw this, uh, this, joy in my family and this this motivation that now it's our time to take to take things back to have freedom back to just you know build this country named Albania and you know where it was and take it to the next step what our grandparents the previous generations tried to do so much and it was not easy it was not easy at all because what communism did is that it ruined it for I mean it's been 30 years now and it's still hard they're still going through a transition a big transition I would say for many reasons one of them being that the communists are still in the power it's not just them it's their children and uh, they're still so so strong there and that is what makes me so sad and that is something that I don't think it's just in Albania, but it's changing all over the world. And we know about China, what's going on and the, you know, the, the strength that they have and how can we make it to where, you know, how can we, how can we win against it? How can freedom, democracy win against, you know, communism, totalitarianism. And um, because you call socialism, it's the same thing. I always think of what Marx said, Karl Marx said, is uh, socialism is just the bridge between, don't quote me on that, but the idea is that the socialism is the bridge between capitalism to communism. And uh, sadly, that's where we are right now. <laughs> um, but going back to my family's history, my my grandmother did the most odd jobs, and yet she was so so brave to just 
you know, she would speak about the grandfather. She would, when we had a family gathering, she would always say, oh, um, I feel like he's here with us. I always asked, but how did he die? And she said that she got, he got sick and he passed. We never, I never knew the real story until communism went down, basically, in democracy. We were not able to speak about our family members. That is how sad this all is. She was not allowed to speak about religion. My grandfather, by my father, said both sides of the family. But uh, I lived with my uh, paternal grandmother. And uh, she and I would sleep in the same room, would share the room. And, you know, she would wait for me until I would fall asleep. And then she would start praying every night. But sometimes, you know, I wasn't asleep yet or I'd wake up and I... I'd ask, what are you saying? What are you doing, grandmother? And um, Yaya was her name. And she would just tell me, oh, I'm talking to myself. And then the next morning, I'd say, oh, daddy, mommy. And Nana, i call her Nana. Nana was talking to herself again last night. <laughs> and they're like, oh, she does this a lot. Just ignore her. Don't tell your friends that she talks to herself, you know, because they were always so scared because they're going to think that your grandmother is not okay. You know, and uh, my grandmother said, yes, I like to do that. Uh, forgive me, but I like, I remember praying uh, to dear God, help my children, give them strength. Uh, give, I, I still remember it was the same praying every single night. And uh, during the holidays, she would, um, she would, you know, religious holidays, she would give us money. Uh, and she'd say, here, this is for you, this is for you. And we're like, why? Why is this money? Why are you giving it to us? She's like, it's my birthday. And then we're like, you just had your birthday. Is your birthday twice a year? She's like, yes, I don't remember. <laughs> and so we're like, oh, look, Nana gave us money. This is her birthday. And, but her birthday just passed, you know, a few months ago. And uh, my parents again would say, oh, she doesn't remember, just. Just take the money and let's go and buy something, uh, you know, let's go and buy a cookie or something like that. So, yes, basically she was not allowed to, none uh, of my uh, family members, no one was allowed to talk about religion or believe in God. And if that happens, uh, they would end up in prison. So it was everything. You just had to be so careful. If you say that, oh, they're mi- we don't have lemons, they're missing. Why don't we have rice at home? Or how can there be no meat at the stores just you know so we can eat our chicken or fish you know we live by the adriatic see how come we don't have fish in the in the store to to buy then you know that was the end of the that person of its family and its future generations so it was a, a tough life i have to say a very tough life many things that you asked me the question how what life for me as a leader during communism I said that it was a very happy childhood. However, like I said at, at the start, there were things that I thought it was my fault and my parents trying to shelter me from one thing would just tell me that, yes, perhaps you need to do better. For example, I say, why am I not part of this you know, group that is going to be on TV? For And there was just, please understand, there was just one thing one TV station, I'll tell you, one TV station, and the TV would be from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. We had news three times. Uh, once or twice a week, you could watch a movie, and the rest was programs for the party. There was some t- uh, kids' shows, and uh, 
So uh, they had this show where they different schools will uh, go through a little competition, you know, through the two, for example, two schools, science competition, math competition, and I was never a part of it. And I'd ask, why am I not? If my class is going there, why am I not part of it? Am I not a good student? However, they didn't want me as a Vida to be a part of it because I was the daughter and the granddaughter and the great granddaughter of two um of the worst people that Albania could bring of, even though they tried to bring the best, uh, you know, to build a country. So, uh, yes. And my parents were like, well, maybe you need to study harder. You need to study more. So next time you are there, you know, and I always thought that, oh, perhaps I'm not good enough for this or different, you know, uh, concerts that I had to perform in the, let's say in the capital city or things like that. Why am I not a part of it? Why wasn't I invited to this or to that? But I was never good enough. And my parents would say that they're happy from with what I have achieved. However, I need to work much harder to make it to the top. And one time I remember my mother, I still can't forget that, where she said, you need to study. You are. I'm like, but I'm doing well at school. She said, you are doing well at school, but you need to be the best of the best of the best. You need to be number one in order to to at least get a college degree because uh, if you are the top of the top of the top, maybe you will achieve something. But something, you know, with achieving something was basically getting a job, getting an education because she said something that I will never forget because you have a bad biography. And as a child, as an eight-year-old, seven or eight-year-old child, I'd ask myself, what does that mean, having a bad biography? I asked, but I also was, like, I asked, I remember asking, but at the same time, I felt that, okay, if I ask, I don't want to open a, you know, having a bad biography, I thought maybe it's my fault, I'm not good, and now this bad biography, I'm creating it. I didn't know what exactly it meant. I think it came out of my mother in a moment of frustration, but... Yeah, she, uh, I said, what does that mean? She said, just try to be the best that you could be and don't, don't worry about the rest. And I never asked anymore what that, I did think about that though. I never thought that it was coming from my grandparents and great grandparents because we never talked about that. And if I asked questions, I was, you know, very sweetly shut down or the conversation would change. So that was the childhood in Albania. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I'm just, I can't, you know, I can't even begin to fathom, you know, how much, how much courage you, you, you received just from going through, you know, the, the struggles already, the daily struggles of not being able to, to get even basic necessities. And then for, for, for people to, to judge you based on such a false depiction of, of your family it's just it's it's unimaginable because we we all often i think a lot of people generally speaking always want to find it find out what the next frontier is for themselves they want to be the best that they can be and for people to in that society to to tell people that they can't even or they might not even be able to to achieve because of of their family history or or their beliefs and all this. It's it's just. Well, uh, they didn't want because of the family history. They didn't want this, uh, this 
the children, the grandchildren and the great grandchildren of, uh, you know, you know, they knew what kind of brain these people had, how my great grandfather spoke, I believe, seven or eight languages. So he was very well, uh, very, very sharp. My great grandfather of my father by my father's side, he was you know, he was the brain of the country. He was one of the leaders. They didn't want their children to be successful. Something will be there. You know, the, the gene will continue. The, you know, the, and they didn't want that. They didn't want anyone that was related to my great-grandfather family bloodline to be successful. To, to, you know, didn't want them to have the smallest chance of making it happen. My mother was very, uh, my mother was extremely smart. And during the time that she was, uh, during the time that she graduated from high school, um, I mean, if I talk about her, her life in high school and my family, my, my uncles and my father's and my aunt's uh, high school uh, life, I, it's just so hard. It will take us hours and hours and hours. That would be something for perhaps a different, different time. But um, once my mother graduated from high school, there was a big need for uh, for uh, doctors and for teachers. So my uh, mother, fortunately, uh, went to uh, med school. However, first year, someone wanted to take her. The uh, you know they, the communist said, "Why did you really put this person in med school? How come she is going to become a doctor?" So they wanted to take her out. Someone we didn't know. My mother didn't know anything. However, some person that worked in the you know that was one of the leaders in the university, of course connected to the uh, communist party. Then she said, "This young lady or young girl, young woman, has so much potential that would be uh, absolutely impossible. We will not allow this to happen." So she protected my mom. She defended my mother without knowing my grandparents, without knowing anyone in the family. Of course, she knew the family's history, but she said it would be a crime if we take her. We don't allow her to study that. We need people like her, no matter what. Keep watching her, but she needs to, to finish this school. And that's what happened. And that lady, actually, that once that my mother graduated, she was my mom's patient until the day that she died. We later learned this story. She told my mother once that my mother was, you know, had children and so on. She said that, um, yes, this is what happened. And of course, my mother was as thankful as one could be that she didn't know what happened. The story. Unfortunately, no one came up for my grand for my uncle that carried the name uh, of my great grandfather. So her brother, Hussein Mishketa, carried the his grandfather's name. So, and uh, he was very, extremely, extremely, extremely bright child. When he was in high school, second year high school, teachers, if, if a teacher was missing, they would have him take over the class and teach that class, even for oh, older wow. students. So he went to, um, ended up studying mechanical engineering the first year. And then on the second year, they uh, told him that he's no longer allowed in the university. And uh, he did the most odd jobs. And um, the rest of the children, my mother had uh, has still has 
two sisters and two brothers. So the rest of the family, the younger brother and the younger sister, um, didn't get a college degree. And uh, I can tell you so many stories, but it's not worth going there. But they were um, disrespected in the middle of the school. Many things were told to them that they should not even get a high school education. They sh- people should not uh, be around them because they are uh, the stream blood of uh, the San uh, Mishkeda, uh, an enemy of the people. Can you imagine someone telling that to a child? Not only high school, but even middle school. They would just try to put them down any possible way that they could. My uncle, the Hussein Mishketa that carried his grandfather's name, said that Elida, deep down, I believe that they were scared of us. They were scared of the name. They were scared of anything that was related to us. No, and that made them, because they were so scared of us, somehow, even though we had no power, you know, no power to do a thing, um, they would try to put us down in so many ways. And, uh, you know, with, on my father's side, of course, he has to go through so much because he just had a mother and uh, the income was, and with younger siblings, there was not much income coming to the house. So my father had to work and go to school and take care of his younger sibling. And my aunt helped my grandmother with odd jobs and my older uncle become the, and when I say on older is 12, 13 years old. So he became the, the man of the house, if I may say. And he was doing, working at night, in the evening, night, and then going to school until eighth grade. And then he, he did the night school and worked during the daytime so he could somehow support the family. And when I say work, just um, the, the most, awful jobs that no one would want to do but for and for so little money but at least they could have you know a slice of bread and a little bit of food to have uh, to send to their father in prison because prison basically gave them nothing so uh yeah it was very tough and they didn't want them to get educated because they didn't want these people to be educated like you know so yeah understood and I just want to make one point before we wrap up our first part of our conversation, and we're going to break real quick, and we're going to get to part two. We'll have part two available down in the show notes below, as I mentioned earlier on. And I just want to recognize how giant the mission is for the United States to ensure we have a society that can mitigate and prevent prejudice, because this is what it is. This When I see that in communist societies, one can't work hard and pursue what he or she wants to pursue in life because of these prejudices, because of the fact that someone comes from a particular family, from a particular class, or from a particular ethnicity, or you know did something in their lives but can't have redemption. When I see that kind of society, I, I'm really concerned that our civilization or our Western world will will drift towards that. We cannot have that. We have to have a society where people can freely express themselves and where we can have security and liberty. Uh, these are the real, real core values of our country. And I just hope that in 
in part two and in future conversations when we have people who've gone through what you've gone through. I hope that we'll, we'll have some serious reflection on the importance of coming together here in America to pursue things that are bigger than ourselves and that are going to be very, very significant for the success and the liberty and the freedom and the opportunities for future generations. Thank you so much to Dr. DeColi for a wonderful part one of her story. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this first part of episode 78. We're going to continue this story with part two. So check out the link down in the show notes below. We'll see you very soon in part two.